This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. For the past 30 years, since December 1980, no one ever said there was a top-secret investigation organized right after sunup on December 26th by RAF Bentwater's base commander, Colonel Ted Conrad. That was the morning that Staff Sergeant James Penniston, Airman First Class John Burroughs, and Airman Ed Kavansack encountered lights and a craft in Rendlesham Forest, England. There were rumors right from the beginning that, quote, one of the men jumped up on a UFO or was taken up in a beam of light, close quote. The airman allegedly taken was John Burroughs, but even he did not know until recently that Commander Ted Conrad was already getting men he trusted out into the forest to examine tripod indentations in the forest floor and burn marks on the trees, even before the famous December 28th night of Deputy Base Commander Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt. That's when the famous audio cassette tape recording was made by Colonel Halt out in the forest. For several hours, some two dozen Air Force personnel reported jumping lights, thin beams of light coming down to the ground, and even a multicolored aerial craft on or above the farmer's field. One of the hand-picked men in the top-secret base commander's investigation was Staff Sergeant Monroe Nevels, a photographer and disaster preparedness technician at RAF Bentwaters. Monroe Nevels was born in Phoenix City, Alabama on October 15, 1948. Today, he is 61 years old. In December 1980 at RAF Bentwaters in England, Sergeant Nevels was 32 years old in his second military career. He had first served in the U.S. Marine Corps during the Vietnam War from 1966 to 1970. A year later, in 1971, he enlisted in the U.S. Air Force and was assigned to what was then called disaster preparedness. Monroe told me, quote, At that time, there were only 40 or 50 of us in that disaster preparedness field for the U.S. Air Force. We were trained for aircraft accidents, and some training included simulated nuclear weapons on board, as well as biological and chemical threats, close quote. What no one has known until now is that Saturday afternoon around 4 p.m. on December 27, 1980, Staff Sergeant Monroe Nevels had a surprise visit from Lieutenant Bruce England. Lieutenant England was the ship commander for Bravo Flight Security Police. Both Sergeant Nevels and Lieutenant England had served in the Marines before re-enlisting in the Air Force. Lieutenant England told Sergeant Nevels he was there on top-secret orders of the RAF Bentwaters base commander, Colonel Ted Conrad. Here now is former U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant Monroe Nevels. I was in my home on Woodbridge Base, and I got a knock on the door. It was Lieutenant England from the security police came in, started walking through the home and looking throughout my home to see if there's anybody else there with me. And I told him that, yes, my daughter was in there. She was three years old. He said, well, does she understand what I'm talking about? Because what I'm about to say is top secret. He said, I'm here because I was sent by the base commander, Colonel Conrad, 
asked me to come to here and pick you up and let me go into detail what he said. So then he started going back and relating all the instances of the UFO on December 25th through that time frame. The story that I got from Lieutenant England was that the London Tower, on December 25th, when all this started, contacted the tower at Woodbridge Base and asked them to identify the object that was above them because it was on their radar and they could not determine what it was. So London's looking at Woodbridge as seeing an object on radar, contacts Woodbridge to say, what is it that we're seeing? And Woodbridge says, we don't see anything? Exactly. Had he said to you specifically in the house about the abduction at the site? Lieutenant England told me that one of the airmen had been taken aboard the spacecraft. And he was talking about what had happened at least two nights earlier. Can you talk about that? Yes, he just basically went through and told me about Sergeant Jim Penniston and uh, John Burroughs were involved. I do remember the names were mentioned, mm-hmm. and he said even to the point that someone had been abducted into the aircraft. And he said the reason Colonel Conrad has asked for me to come get you is because he felt that if he wanted an honest answer from anybody, then you would give it to him. So it's my orders. They are down at the Woodbridge Officers Club, and they are having a party down there. And when we get through on our investigation, he'll be waiting for us, and we have to go back and you report to him what you saw. And so we left and about 4.30 that day, and we went over to Bentwaters and carried my daughter with me to the chaplain because my wife was over there in the chaplain's event for the ladies and got back in the Jeep. And we had light scopes, the night vision goggles. We had those with us, and I had my camera. And when we got there at the scene, we went and ran from Forrest, and he began to pinpoint things that had happened. And Monroe, it's very important to stress here that Lieutenant Bruce England, the shift commander for Bravo, already knew the site of the previous landing of a craft of unknown origin, and it was Lieutenant Bruce England who took you there. Yes. This goes then right to the heart of what exactly was happening on December 28th. Colonel Conrad had already had Lieutenant Bruce England go into the forest because Lieutenant England would not have known where to take you if he had not already been out there, right? Well, right, unless he had been given instructions. All I know is that when we went out there to do the investigation, he stopped the jeep and said, well, right here is where we need to stop. Do you know where you stopped in relationship to the East Gate? No, all I know is we stopped. It was dark, and I'd never been out that way before. I was astounded. I told him, I said, man, those trees are tall. Right. And he said, yes, and they said that the craft that came in, it did not break any limbs and came right through the trees and sat down. Which seems impossible. It's an impossible thing in our realm, but not impossible for whatever they were doing. From perhaps outer space. Right. And he took me to the site of the landing. And I proceeded to go into the area, and I looked around and see what I could find. I took my camera, and when we got in there, I saw the three indentations in the ground. And I looked at that. When we got back in the Jeep, 
and slowly headed back toward the east gate. On the way, I looked out and I saw the bright light in the forest. And you were looking through the night vision goggles from your Jeep? At that time, I wasn't. All I saw was the light. With your naked eye? Right. And it was probably by that time at least 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening. And we stayed out there for some time. And as I looked, I grabbed the night vision goggles I had. I looked through them, and when I did, what I saw was the bright green through there, picking up from the heat from the object. But what I saw was something that looked like an eyeball, Mm -hmm. and it was very green around it, but the dark inside looked like a pupil of an eye. And it would just pulsate very slowly until I would get out of the Jeep. And I had Lieutenant England stop the Jeep, and I got out. And when I got out... The lights got brighter. Like they were coming toward you? No, it just looked like they knew I was there. Huh. And the light got brighter. And I said, well, I'm going to get back in the Jeep and see what happens. And by that time, I had static all over my head and my arms and everything. I knew something was wrong. You mean the hair was standing up right. on your head and arms? Like you would say, static in the air. Right, like electrostatic field in a thunderstorm. Right. And I naturally got scared, too, because I didn't know what I was looking at. (laughs) Right. So I get back in the Jeep, and when I get back in the Jeep, he's a little bit agitated, but then I could see the light would get dim. And then I'd move out, start to open the door, and it'd get bright again. But what it would do is sit there and pulsating. And reacting to what you did in the Jeep. Right. What Lieutenant England must have been thinking about was that a couple of nights earlier, the story was that one of the men in the forest, John Burroughs and Jim Penniston, had been abducted into the craft of unknown origin, as they described it, to Lieutenant Fred Buran. All I heard was the word abduction. He just said an airman at the time. Mm-hmm. Finally, I said, okay, now we can go. And we went back to the... Woodbridge Officers Club. And when we reported in, the Major D went to Colonel Conrad. Colonel Conrad came out and ushered both of us in. And inside that room, I saw Colonel Hall, and I saw Colonel Conrad. I believe Colonel Williams was there. I'm not sure, but I think he was. Security Police Chief was there, and he was in uniform. So when I got in, We discussed a little bit about what I saw, and then he asked me, Sergeant Evels, do you think it it warrants further investigation? And I said, yes, sir, most definitely. That's when Colonel Hawk jumped in and began to assemble a team, and we went back from there to the base over at Bentwaters, and I picked up the radiac instrument. I do know that when I used the ANPDR-27, that we did get readings after we went back out. And that measures beta and gamma? Yes. I did take the beta shield off and check it, and I didn't catch anything. It was all gamma. So the beta with the shield off, you didn't get anything, but when you were measuring gamma rays, that's when it pegged on the 0.5 meter, and on the 5 meter, it was hovering around 7. Right. 
some people say that there were 35 or 16 millimeter motion picture film cameras out there in the woods where the light alls were. I wondered if you saw that with your own eyes. No. The reason being is that nobody from the photo lab was out there but me. I represented the base photo lab as much as I did disaster preparedness. I was the only one out there with the camera as far as I know. Now, there may have been some, but I never saw any. And another thing, Colonel Hawk questioned me, all those pictures you take, did you get anything out of it? Wasn't it film five? And I said, yes, sir. I processed that film myself. I said, I went home and processed it. And you had the radiation that you know you got at least some gamma ray. Radiation, so the radiation would have bogged the film. I looked out in the woods and saw the light, and somebody else saw the light about the same time they were on their radios, and they contacted Colonel Hall, and we proceeded to try to find it. And at that time, the cattle were starting to get kind of edgy, you know, like they knew something was there. When we got to it, it disappeared. We couldn't figure out how it got out of those trees and where it went. Because the trees were very tall and very close together, right? Trees were close together, approximately 100 feet tall. So when we went out to the edge where there was a farmer's field, and Lieutenant Colonel Halt and myself were mainly the leaders, we were in front, and we looked out and saw this object that was sitting over in the farmer's field about 200 yards away. To me, it looked kind of yellowish-orange, like very hot. And it looked like it was on fire, burning. And every once in a while, I would see something shoot off that looked like molten metal. Hmm. Colonel Halt and I both observed that, and we watched it. So we jumped the fence, and as we jumped the fence, it disappeared. Compare it to the illustration that John Burroughs did with the U.K. Computer Illustrator. Immediately, I knew what I saw. That it was the same? It looked very close to it, very close. And I saw it. I got excited about it. There, somebody finally threw something that made sense. To what you had seen? To what I'd seen. And from your and Colonel Halt's perspective, standing there at the edge of the farmer's field, looking out at this, you had the distinct impression that it rose up a ways and started coming toward you and Colonel Halt? Yes. What we saw was so fast, and it disappeared. We were in awe about, you know, where did it go? What did it do? And I looked up and saw the lights, and I told Colonel Hall, sir, the lights are up above us. We all started looking up, saw the lights. There were three of them. And those three, one was predominant over the other two, brighter and looked more like a leader. That one would hover and move around while the other two would kind of be still. And we began seeing the lights looked like they were probably about 1,000 feet off the ground. There was very rapid movement, no sound whatsoever. All the cattle in the field quietened down. It was just a still and eerie feeling because it was very quiet. And Monroe, did you see those thin beams of light come down? Yes, I did. Could you please describe in detail what you remember about those beams? Those beams were, when they came down, they looked like a very faint laser beam. They were pencil thin. We could see it against the black sky. When we looked out and saw those pencil thin beams, I told Colonel Hall that I believe that something is trying to tap into what we've got. I mean, you know, what is it that they're trying to find out? Because it's obvious if it shot down to the ground, it had to be doing something, taking photos, 
penetrating or trying to generate some heat to the ground or whatever the situation was. The lights would disappear and be gone and blink. You could blink your eye and look up and they'd be gone. And Mintwaters would announce on their radios back to us, we see it, sir, we see it, it's over us. And then when it disappeared from their side, we immediately was able to say, here it is. In other words, it was like it was instantaneous from there to where we were. The lights that you could see in Rendlesham Forest with Colonel Halt would suddenly disappear and you would simultaneously hear radio reports from RAF Bentwaters that the lights were there. And then when they said they disappeared, you'd see the lights back over where you were in the forest? Yes. We all had radios. We had three different frequencies. That night, we heard the security police get excited because Colonel Halt had his radio. They were getting excited, and they'd say, we can't find it, and it would be over us. But it must have seemed very unearthly what you were experiencing. Sure it was. And I could not explain why you can have something here. If I take a flashlight and I move it from point A to point B, you're going to see a distance in that. And what I saw was there was no distance. It was as though they were here, and I could blink my eye that quick. And they were gone, and there was no sound. It was so eerie that there was no sound. It was instantaneous. The ability to sort of jump immediately from one place to another. Yes. And back. Like the speed of light. When we got into the site of the landing, went into the spots on the ground. And if I take a tripod from my camera and put it in the ground, it will not necessarily be even. And by the time I'm through setting it down, it's going to be deeper in one end than it is in the other. However, on these indentations that we saw, while being on uneven ground in three different locations for the three tripod legs, what we saw was that each one of those indentations were identical in size and shape identical in the fact that radiation was being detected right there in those little pots where they sat down. Mm-hmm. The thing that was interesting for me was that all three were impacted at the same depth and same density. The implication was that the density of those legs when they hit the ground, that in each area you could say it was just like sitting down on concrete. In other words, it's all packed together the same way. Oh, I see that each of the depressions in the tripod pattern, every one of them was compressed equally. Right. And that that was remarkable because the land was not flat. It was on an angle. Right. And so whatever this was that set down on that tripod pattern and made those depressions in the soil, it had to be doing something that equalized the weight on all three tripod legs. That's why I said that it was gyroscopic in nature. If you take that vehicle, if it's spinning as it was and burning the trees and it lets its legs down, the craft itself is not going to tilt anyway. But the legs go down to the ground and one hits over here and then the other one hits another location and the third one hits down and they all have the same indentation. That tells me that that had to be gyroscopic in nature. And that it was important somehow for the craft itself to remain level, which is why the legs and the pods would adjust. Exactly. 
and let the legs come down and touch the ground as they would. And when it sat down, it automatically compensated all three legs. So then when I got really serious and started digging in, I found that there were burn marks on the tree limbs all the way around the vehicle. It was not just one limb, and it was not one tree, but all the trees in that circle. So I got the impression that it was like a gyroscopic object sitting there and spinning like it was spinning like a top. And as it spun around, it was burning into the wood in the tree. And so I took radiation test and checked it on both the limbs and the spot where it was. I got radiation behind the tree, same spot, just looking on the other side of it, was nothing. So I knew that whatever had been there at that time had burned those trees. What I saw was real, and what I saw was serious. And Colonel Halt had a tape recorder, but he didn't know how much time he had left on his tape. This was back when we had tape instead of digital. So he would cut it on, and we would make something important on there that needed to be said. Then he would turn it off, and then we would continue talking and discussing. And then he'd say, just a moment, and he'd flick it back on. We'd make a comment and stop it. Do you know what happened to that tape? Yes, I think I do. The understanding that I had was I later talked with Colonel Conrad about it, and I understand that the tape was taken aboard the private aircraft and was taken to 3rd Air Force by General Gabriel and General Gordon Williams. And I was told that it was General Gabriel, 3rd Air Force in Germany. From Ramstein. From Ramstein. General Gabriel and... There was General Baisley also. Baisley, I think that's probably the name. So you know for a fact that General Gabriel flew in in his private jet from Ramstein, Germany, to RAF Bentwaters specifically to see what? To see... Well, he had been notified, and as a result, because of the base being nuclear, he had to come down there. I mean, he had to come in and see what was going on. Mm -hmm. But, see, there were only a few people that were allowed to meet with him. Colonel Hall wasn't. He wasn't one of them. Who did meet with General Gabriel? I don't know. I do not know. All I know is that the only story that I was told that these two generals flew in, talked to wing and base commander, and they took the tape that Colonel Halt had made that night, and they went back to their respective bases, and that's the last I ever heard of. Was that the original tape? I don't think it was the original. I think it was a copy of the original I think that somebody got a hold of that tape and tried to discredit. In fact, I understand from John Burroughs about this woman that was on the Internet and claiming that in the background that I was being brutally tortured. And that is not true. That is not true. After your conversation with the base commander, Colonel Ted Conrad, did you ever have any interrogation or debriefing with anybody else? I don't recall having had one. And did you ever experience what you would consider to be a verbal abuse in an interrogation? No. I wonder at this stage, as we speak in July of 2010, 30 some years after. What is your own thought today about Colonel Halt's statement that the lights, the beams, and the craft 
were, quote, extraterrestrial in origin, close quote? Well, I don't know the origin of what happened. I don't know where it was from. It wasn't anything that we had that could compete with that, and we don't have that today that I know of. Midnight in the dark, so dark you can't see, and yet be able to manipulate and get out without breaking tree limbs and crashing. And jump back and forth between where you were and Bentwaters. Cannot go that fast, and we have absolutely nothing that is that quiet. Where is the technology coming from? Extraterrestrial technology. Yes, it had to be from somewhere. Never at any time was I called in to higher-ups and asked to tell my story. No one ever asked me about that, which surprised me. No one of higher authority from Gabriel to Baisley to Gordon Williams ever debriefed you, the technician for disaster preparedness who was out there with two Geiger counters in Rendlesham Forest, December 28th? Right. Thanks for listening to this Earth Files podcast from the edges of science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com. 